Hello, this is Tom Pasello, the ROI guy, and welcome to the Evolvers podcast. My guest today is Nancy Nardin. Many of you have read her articles or watched Nancy's videos about sales technology. She is the founder of the valuable sales tech resource site, Smart Selling Tools. Prior to becoming an analyst and an entrepreneur, Nancy learned her craft well selling to large enterprise accounts in Silicon Valley for analyst firms such as IDC, RHK, DataQuest, Gartner, and BIS Strategic Decisions. Her first sales job was all the way back in the early 80s selling for grid systems, and they were the world's first laptop computer. I had a grid for a while when I was an electrical engineer and used it well. Uh, And she's been on the front lines of sales and technology ever since that first sales job back in the early 80s. So today, Nancy is here to share her experience about the sales technology landscape, the ever-evolving sales tech landscape. And I'm here to welcome Nancy. Thank you, Tom. It's uh, great to be here. And I cannot believe that you are a grid user. I do run into those every once in a while and I'd forgotten if I'd ever learned that about you, but that's fun to know that you uh, used a grid and you know what that was like back in the day, quite different than what we have in today's world. Yeah, and not too different in the sales tech landscape either, right, as, as it takes us back over to that. So um, lots of great advancements in the space, and that's really what I want to talk to you so much about today. So I was looking at the latest sales tech landscape, and I didn't personally count up all the companies. I think you did. Um, overwhelming is definitely the one word that comes to mind. Yeah. There's a lot of categories and a lot of companies. So how, how many companies are on the grid today? There's just over 600, but uh, keep in mind that I do not include CRM on there, which some people might find odd, but that would add probably another 100. Um, my, my personal point of view is I want people to think beyond CRM. And mm-hmm. so I don't track the CRM solutions, just those additional kinds of applications that have emerged in the last decade to really help sellers beyond CRM. Yeah, and CRM we can almost think of as like the operating system, almost like the windows of sales, right? Um, And so all of these sales technologies that we're here to talk about today kind of plug into it and make it better, uh, make it do some of the things that maybe CRM back in the day, the vision was to have it do itself. But um, so, I mean, with 600 companies, the outlook for sales tech is obviously a a good one, right? So many companies are joining in the fray. what are some of the themes that you're seeing these companies tackling? So that that these companies are thinking is a priority and are trying to solve. Yeah. So companies in terms of the vendors that are coming out with these solutions. Exactly. Or I guess we yeah. could look at it both ways, right? Yeah. But, the the vendors that are coming out with the solutions. How are you? Yeah. How are you kind of categorizing them? And what are the the kind of challenges that they're tackling? Yeah, well, thank you for asking, because for the longest time, I didn't want to put out a market landscape because I wasn't sure how useful they are. I mean, they're interesting, right, (laughs) because everyone can ooh and ah over them, but like, how's it going to actually help people? And so when I did finally publish it, I segmented them by what I call the sales hierarchy. And, And in fact, that's really how the whole market has unfolded. What is the most important fundamental need of a seller? And that is to know who to call and why. 
So the first section of our landscape is dedicated to who to call and why. And so those would be your lead list database type of services. It would also be the things that uh, marketing apps, you know, help push leads into the pipeline. So anything that's really kind of at the top of the funnel. <laughs> and, and I'd say that's the most important because if you don't get that right or have a real understanding of your ideal customer profile and who the roles are and why they might want to buy from you, then everything else you do is going to be suboptimal in terms of effort and return. Yep. Wasting yeah. you know, time with the wrong contacts or just not even having enough to uh, enough volume to get you where you need to go, right? That's it. Yeah. Yep. And so anyway, and then the entire landscape is set up, as I say, with the hierarchy. The next phase is um, how to engage and when. So now I know who to contact and why. So how do I get them to actually engage with me? And that's where we're seeing a lot of great uh, you know, solutions like uh, Mediafly to uh, help sellers with the right messaging, to be relevant, to be really make a difference in terms of uh, standing above the noise in the crowd of other sellers, because we're all competing for attention. And so the more better armed you are as a seller, the higher the chances are that you'll get your prospects to actually engage with you. And then once you can't, if you can't get them to engage, then you don't have an opportunity. So that's why that's the second most fundamentally important need. Excellent. And what is the third? Beyond okay. That? So the third is um, why should they buy and from you? Uh, the fourth is how to close. And the fifth, which is kind of equivalent to self-actualization on Maslow's hierarchy, right? Mm -hmm. So if we're really self-actualization, actualizing the sales process, what do we want in ultimately? And that's to sell again to the same customer, to repeat business, upsell and cross sell. Exactly. So that's the expand selling element that's so yes. important for many subscription services. Excellent. Well, that, that yeah. definitely seems to make a lot of sense in terms of the, the organization. Now, what I want to do is dig into a couple of areas that are near and dear to the Evolver audience and the Evolve selling methodology. And the first one you mentioned there is how to engage and when. Um, sales tech technology that helps sellers improve that last mile of the engagement and change the experience. It's when seller meets customers, what the heck do they say? Um, and you know, how do they say it and how do they shape an experience that's collaborative with that customer? Yeah, that's the, that's the trick, right? Because I remember back in the day, right? All we had was I would send away for uh, annual reports. Remember that Tom? So, I'd have a filing cabinet of, of annual reports and that was what I would do and go to look for. What can I say to this customer that's going to pique their interest? And now we have so much information available that it's almost uh, incapacitating, right? Because I could spend all my time doing research and trying to prep myself for a, a customer and try, and then I also have to filter through it and decide what's important and what isn't important. And that's another reason why sales enablement solutions and what marketers are doing to really arm their sellers with very focused content for different personas, et cetera, is so key and so important today. 
completely agree. And what we're also finding, like you mentioned, the overwhelming nature of the content. So sellers can be overwhelmed with the amount of research, the amount of information available about the prospects. And I see it the same way on the prospect side. Prospects are overwhelmed with the amount of content that they get when they're starting to do research on a particular solution mm -hmm. or they're trying to make a decision. Once they're on these vendors list, the vendors are targeting them, throwing tons of content at them. And I view this part as how do we streamline the seller engagement so that the seller knows what to engage with at the right time, um, that the, they're facilitating the buyer's journey. They're helping buyers buy. Um, the term that I think Gartner used for that was buyer enablement. And, and I think it's appropriate in that um, how do you get the seller to be the concierge of information and content so they're not in turn overwhelming the buyer. And when anyone is overwhelmed by content and by choice, they freeze. Uh, they're yes. attracted to it in the beginning. From a neuro standpoint, we're attracted to going into a store where there's a lot of choices. But then when you're looking at that wall of shoes that isn't curated, and if it's you know 50 by 50, it attracted mm -hmm. you, but you're not gonna be able to make a decision normally because you're just overwhelmed with the number of choices. And that's where curation then becomes so key. Um, any thoughts on that? Well, I think you and I have probably had a conversation in the past about this whole paradox of choice. There's a book by that name, in fact, that I, I think is mm -hmm. a fantastic book that talks to that. And uh, yes, what we find is that the more choice you have, and we think we all think, well, the more choice there is, the better. But it's not true when it comes to a lot of things. When it comes to buying, it can cause the buyer to just, you know, be paralyzed by the complexity of it all. And no one is really trained to buy, at least especially, you know, in the sales world. I mean, we're we're not trained to to buy. We're trained to sell. And and really no one is trained to buy. So as a seller, the more you can help them with that buying process as opposed to just helping them to learn about your solution the more you'll differentiate yourself, the more you'll add value to the, and, and, and a good buying experience to the whole process. And the more likely that you'll get the sale because you're actually helping the, the person through the process where they otherwise wouldn't necessarily know what to ask or who else they should get involved. Um, and if you're not helping them and someone else is, then, you know, that's a bad thing. And if you're not, and if no one's helping them, then they're not going to do anything. And that's that whole uh, uh, status quo, which we all fight against. Exactly. And if there's too many choices and they're viewing it as a risky choice, that just drives them back to status quo and the do nothing buyer at that point. Um, the more mm -hmm. facilitation, the more you can help them anticipate the steps in the buyer's journey. Um, there are some steps that are clear. You know, you know, the company might have to go through a security review of your solution proactively yeah. provide them with the security documents. You know, they're going to probably put out an RFP or if you want to proactively, you know, maybe guide them to that, you should have a buyer's guide that you're giving them. Um, you know, there are, there are things that we can anticipate in that journey because we've walked how many customers through it before, dozens, mm -hmm. hundreds. We should be able to know what those steps are and make sure that the seller is the concierge through those steps and through that journey. Now, what happens instead, I see a lot of times, Nancy, is, you know, the seller will come and they've got their canned product presentation and they'll get up there and, 
and just walk through it, you know, talking about who they are, um, all of the products they have, how fast they're growing. Uh, here's all of the people in the company and the founders. And, you know, eventually it might get around to some questions about what the buyer needs. But a lot of times they're still presenting in a very old fashioned way with these yes. very big linear monolithic presentations. What are you seeing differently on the presentation side that you've been excited by or, or in to change the experience? Well, so from my point of view, I think that it's a mistake often, more often than not, maybe to start with the presentation and that's, by the way, kind of what the buyer expects. And they're comfortable with that because it's like, okay, I don't need to do anything. I don't have to answer questions. They're going to flip up the lid of their laptop and they're going to present to me. And so I can just listen. But that's not a good interaction, really, to, right out of the gate. Um, so I recommend that and a lot of people do that, that the sellers have a conversation. This is where the storytelling comes in. Help the buyer uh, by asking some questions that maybe they hadn't thought of before. And of course you have to earn the right to ask questions. And so there's always some finesse that goes with that because you can't just start challenging them with questions. Um, you have to kind of earn that right, ask a few questions, a little bit of time, get deeper and deeper, but you have to also show that you have um, the right to ask that because you're smart about it, you're educated, you're actually adding value when you ask those questions. So I, that's what I'm seeing is, is this, um, maybe it's not a move yet, but, but people are certainly recognizing that that's what they should be doing is leading with conversations as opposed to presentations. There is a time for that, for sure. Yep. And what I like to do, and one of the things that we encourage in the Evolve Selling Method is divide your presentation into these little stories. I like to call them vignettes. And a lot of times I like to align them around use cases or even better around challenges that then tie to use cases. And each vignette is a little mini story about the challenge you're solving, some questions that you can ask, what's the loss the buyer's experiencing, the opportunity, the solution, the benefits and the evidence, you know, a couple of case studies sprinkled in. And they're little three or four slide mini stories that you can situationally jump to based on who you're selling to and what they self-identify as their challenges. And I think by getting out of the, you know, we go into some customer, like especially some consumer product companies, Nancy, and the decks are enormous. They're trying to pack in, you know, for a big product line, you know, there'll be 130 slide presentation. I saw one the other day that was 180 slides. I couldn't believe it. Now you're a seller and you're trying to weed through that to prepare for an engagement with a customer. You're likely going to cut it down, but you're still going to include too much. It's all linear. You're not going to be able to very quickly jump to the conversation you need to and pivot to the right place. And if instead the marketing group said, you know what, let's not produce any more of these decks like this, but we can break each one of these, that 150 page presentation into little stories, little vignettes, maybe around each one of the solutions and have three or four per solution, and then leverage some technology to dynamically guide the seller to the right one based on what the customer self identifies as the challenges or what the use cases are that they ultimately want to solve. That could end that, you know, death by yes. PowerPoint kind of presentation that they're getting. 
That's a good approach, Tom. And you said something that really caught my attention, which is the word linear. Mm-hmm. And and that is what your approach allows reps to to get away from is this, I'm going to start at A and I'm going to take you all the way down the alphabet to Z. And yep. if you have questions, stop me in the middle. <laughs> yep. And, then, and they invariably linear. will. And then you'll struggle to jump to where you need to be, but it's That's still a true. linear presentation and, and yes. the customer never follows the script and mm-hmm. we wish they could. Um, yeah. we've been, we come in with a script, which is this linear presentation, but it never goes that way. And I find that every time I try to put together a linear presentation and anticipate, I'm almost always wrong. So the ability to have these vignettes on the ready or to have an interface that will let you, you know, anticipate the navigation to the right vignette based on challenges or use cases is great because you just click on that use case. Now, let me, let me walk you through a couple of things. Let me show you a couple of things. And then here's some success stories of people just like you who've achieved these savings. And so you do a little mini storytelling around each one. And I find that to be much, much more effective. Love that approach. We haven't been able to do it in the past until, you know, folks like Mediafly have come out with, as you say, the technology that allows a rep to, without pressure or figure, or like, oh my gosh, how am I going to get to that slide to easily navigate? Oh, we're having a conversation. They mentioned this. Hey, you know what? Let me, while we're on that subject, let me show you something I think you might be interested in. And they can just quickly push on a button and be at that spot in the presentation. And then try to find some way to, I love having a day in the life pictures to help me to navigate to those vignettes. Um, But, you know, painting a 3D picture of the customer's business and having their operation there. And then you're just clicking on little pieces of the business as you're having just a natural discussion with them. And you always have that visual cue to fall back on. That's probably my favorite approach is visual day in life around challenges and use cases, and then click to the vignette to get there. Mm-hmm. Yep. So, so the other thing is, you know, I like to uh, go back to, and I think we're kind of of that same error. I don't know if you remember the group Foreigner, but um, I grew up next one to- One of my uh, favorites. Yeah, one of the, the bassists, Ed Gagliardi. Uh, he was a neighbor uh, in my town in Long Island growing up. And wow. uh, used to listen to him practice. He had a, a Zeppelin cover band, I think, at the time. And they were just phenomenal. I mean, we aspired Whoa, to be so he was just getting started then. He, he was. He was. Wow, and then cool. and then the Brits came over with Lou Graham and uh, Mick Jones and the rest of the folks in Foreigner and, uh, you know, kind of hired him as a hired gun and and the rest is history but they had this hit cold as ice that i loved and that's how i think of buyers right they're in control they're cautious they're economic focused and that's where the ice comes Mm -hmm. from um frugal executives they need justification they need differentiation and one of the steps of um you know your sales technology landscape is the why should i buy from you and that's where you kind of put things that you know, are related to this. So tools that help motivate buyers through why change, why now, why you, like assessment mm-hmm. tools, return on investment, TCO. Talk a little bit about what you're seeing in that landscape. And um, this is a relatively new area for a lot of companies to start to build centers of excellence around. Yeah, well, so what's interesting about that, by the way, I love the cold as ice. I mean, that's <laughs> true. They, they do wanna be in control although they don't necessarily know what they should be doing or the right steps to take. They, they have a feel for what their, you know, their needs are and their challenges. They are definitely cautious and they're economically focused. But the one thing is that they don't necessarily get to decide why change, why now or why you, because mm-hmm. it's almost always a buying team. So that means there could be many views on why change. 
Mm -hmm. each with their own motivations and reasons. And so you really have to get to the bottom of uh, all of the different people that could be involved. And one of the biggest stumbling blocks is that even when you have an interested buyer, as we've talked about, they, they don't necessarily know how to buy. And so now you've got a whole bunch of buyers that you're having to deal with. They don't know necessarily how to navigate the internal politics, uh, what questions that they should be asking, how to get others on board or aligned. So that gets complicated. And then they start to ask, look, how badly do I want this? <laughs> you know, is it worth the risk? So things like assessment tools that can really help to reinforce their original thinking. Hey, if only I could solve this problem, there'd be a big payout somehow. Right. You know, they all kind of envision that. So if you can reinforce that with assessment tools and ROI or TCO tools, um, that's very helpful. It also helps them sell it internally and communicate with others on the buying tool, uh, buying team. And I like uh, yeah. what you said about the unique, um, we call it kind of a unique point of val value, POV, right? Point of view, but point of mm -hmm. value. And yeah. that, you know, you could be working with a business leader that wants to grow their group. You could be talking to an IT person that wants to maybe improve security and availability and reduce cost. You can be talking to an operations person that wants to not hire more people and, and streamline the productivity. And it could all be the same solution they're looking at, but they've got wildly different views of the challenges that they have day to day that you're trying to solve and the value that can be delivered. And so the ability for the seller to uh, communicate and quantify to each one of those roles, the unique point of value that's important to them, and then put that together into one story um, that mm -hmm. hangs together, I think is essential. And I like to view it that way as you're putting together a value story, not yeah. just the numbers themselves. I mean, the quantification is certainly important, but as that case for change is passed around the organization, your champion may understand the story, but no one else will. And so it's really important to have whatever case for change you as a seller help the um, champion or mobilize or prepare within the organization that it, it hang all together and tell the story of the challenges you're solving and what the do nothing cost is and not just jump to the, here's the ROI that this can deliver because that, that won't have any emotion tied to it. Uh, yeah. Agreed. And, and you just said the cost of doing nothing. That That's sort of like flipping it around. And that's mm -hmm. really, I think, where you get even more motivation is, yeah, you can maybe not do anything, but what's the cost of that? There's a there's often a, a big cost to doing nothing, and, and they don't necessarily realize that. And so having that information really can strengthen their confidence and their resolve to stick their neck out, because that's really what they're having to do is say, how badly do I, do I, or how, how strongly do I feel about the why behind all of this? Mm -hmm. Because the stronger they feel about it, the more evidence they have to back it up, the, the better of story they can tell themselves and others, then the, the lower the risk is overall and the, the less friction from wanting to move forward and change. And the how is much less important than the why, right, as a motivating factor. And I think you hit on that perfectly. Um, now, you talked as well in the, the sales technology map, this important new category where, you know, the repeat business part. Um, and I wanted to talk to you a little bit about, you know, the, this expand selling, this continuous thing where 
selling doesn't stop anymore at the sale. Usually, in, in fact, for many organizations, it starts at the sale where they made a downloaded a free trial and you've got them committed maybe for one month of service, but you kind of have to earn that service every month or perhaps you've got to earn it every year on a, on a recurring subscription license. What trends are you seeing to kind of help sellers in that area to better implement, expand selling, be able to kind of upsell, cross-sell, to be able to assure renewal, to be able to make sure that you don't have customer churn? Well, I think part of it is to have good data. So if you've got data, certainly if you're renewing, then you want to have good data on the usage and you want to have good data on any support tickets and resolution and those types of things. But you also want to have data on uh, how much, well, you want to start with the content, right? Let's keep good content in front of people who have purchased from us to remind them because we forget, we, we just, it, we get involved in the day to day and we know the system's working for us, but that emotional piece of it might start to fade unless you're reminded, oh yeah, that's right. We can do this, we can do that. Um, and so content can help with that. And if your clients are reading and en engaging with that content, then that can give you some sense of, you know, likeliness to churn or certainly at least how engaged they might be. And also the other thing is to figure out how you can get them involved as a referral client for you or testimonial of some sort, because if they are, then they are going to be even more locked into, um, you know, their sense of, you know, satisfaction and their commitment to, to using your solution. So yeah. that's another good approach is to, you know, support them in that way and see if you can have them be a referral for you. Um, and, the, and the other thing is, I would say that, you know, look, a lot of times you have issues, issues come up, they, they're disappointed in something, something didn't go right, that uh, always happens. And so often, once you can resolve that, you have an even stronger customer commitment than before, because you've been through something together, and mm -hmm. they now can trust you, they see that uh, you have, you have their back, and you yep. help them through it. I completely agree with that. And there is that honesty and transparency that occurs when you've been through it with them before, right? And provided that service. So things won't always go perfectly. The adoption might not be everything they want, but if you're on top of it and you're helping to drive it or helping them to resolve any support issues that come up, you can definitely strengthen that relationship. Uh, very um, interesting that you mentioned the content side. And I think this is something that B2B organizations could learn a lot from B2C companies. Um, car companies. A lot of the advertisement you see on TV for a car ad, a lot of people think, oh, that's to attract new buyers. And it's actually not. It's there a lot of times to build your connection to the brand after you buy. Um, car companies are really good at sending out magazines that relate to their brand uh, and creating a community, right? Driver communities. Um, Porsche being one of the best. I was a, a Porsche uh, BMW driving instructor for a long time. And those communities keep you loyal to those brands. We, we don't tend to implement that maybe as much with regard yeah. to leveraging content to build the loyalty and making sure that they stay connected to the brand overall. And then also building up community, which B2B companies do a decent job of, but 
can definitely learn from some of these higher end consumer companies to build almost a, a lifestyle brand yeah. uh, and a connection to that and then promote to people, not just new customers, the brand, but think about actual promotions to uh, make sure that buyer's remorse doesn't set in, which is something that most of the car advertisement uh, are, are targeted to, is to make sure that buyer's remorse doesn't come in on that brand. It's, it's pretty amazing. Mm. Now, one of the other elements on expand selling, Nancy, that, that I think um, can occur is you know, adoption is important and use of the technology or whatever you, you sold them service-wise to that organization is important. So consumption and usage. But beyond that, if you're able to quantify actually what you delivered value-wise and the outcomes, yes. talk about that a little bit. That's right. Yeah, so that's probably one of the most important things and I, 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 I neglected to mention it, but absolutely helping your buyer quantify or understand what has that return actually been? Was it worth it? Uh, did you get what you expected? Um, you want to arm them with that information. So if someone says, hey, how did that project go? Well, I think it's going okay. You know, you want to help them figure out how can I have the right words and language to talk about how successful this has been. And yep. ROI and TC, um, TCO. Uh, thank yep. you, TCO <laughs> tools. Um, can can really help with that. Um, and, and maybe this gets back to a bigger issue, which is that <clears throat> we really have to get as sellers and marketers, I think, better at helping prospects and customers know what to say. Mm -hmm. And as an example, <clears throat> I when you, a, a, a seller, has a sales call, and the prospect hangs up and the person next to the prospect says, hey, that sounded really interesting. What was that all about? What is your prospect going to say? Hmm. And so when, of course, they're excited, let's assume they are, you know, they listen to you, they're excited about it, they want to have another meeting, but will they be able to put into words why they're excited or what exactly the solution does. So the more a seller can sum up and even ask the buyer, hey, if you had to put into words the three you know, biggest takeaways from our conversation today, what would you say those were? Mm -hmm. and, and you'll find this stumble a little bit and you can help them out. How about this? Or would this be one of them? Mm -hmm. and, and arm and them with it, yep. Arm them. And, mm -hmm. and once they practice that, you know, now you've given them a safe place to practice and now they'll know what to say when someone asks them. And it, again, it helps to reinforce and help them sell internally. And I think that same as we were talking about expand selling, that same thing is true for expand selling. You know, they're going to be asked, why should we renew? Um, yes. What value has this company delivered to us? You're asking for another renewal at that amount of a hundred thousand, a million dollars a year. I mean, some of these renewal contracts can get big. Um, there, there's going to be a lot of scrutiny on that, and we have to, you know, not just think that an adoption number is going to cut it. Oh, well, we have a lot of users. Okay, great. Well, there's a million dollar bill here. Where, what, right. <laughs> where's my million dollar bottom line impact that this delivered? And, and actually, it needs to be two million, three million, five million impact. You know, I need to see some real, real Benjamins that are coming in to offset this cost. And a lot of times we don't think to arm the, the um, champion within the organization who's going to go for the renewal with the material yep. they need, which That's is right. nowadays becoming very much outcome focused and outcome based. We've got and one customer. Oh, sorry, go ahead. Uh, I was going to say, we've got one customer that they do it where 
they predict what the ROI is going to be. They come back in a quarter, a half a year, a year later, and they do QBRs. And not every QBR do they talk outcomes, but they really try to most of the time. And they can show exactly the progress they're making towards the goals. Sometimes they hit it, sometimes they fall short. But one of the other things it does is it automatically calculates if we were able together to improve adoption. So we know that 300 people are licensed, but only 20 are actively using. The 20 that are actively using returned a million dollars to the organization. But if we take the 20 and we take those gains they made and put those across the other 70, 100 users that haven't been adopting, here's what the value can be. And then it goes one step further and says, if we're able to license the three other adjacent projects, products, here's what the value can be from that. So it automatically does this dashboard on every QBR. Here's the value we predicted. Here's the value we delivered. Here's what working on adoption together can deliver to us if we get everyone to be active. And then here's what expanding our relationship could mean down the line. I love that. I, I know, and it's all candid. It's all there as a report that then the seller can give the champion the champion can go and give to the CFO uh, and close the loop completely. So I, and I, I interrupted you there on uh, the point you were trying to make as well. Well, I think I was just going to make the point that arm them before the prospect comes to you with the question, mm -hmm. Hey, I've been asked to, you know, quantify the ROI and I need help with that, you know, cause then it's more of a, uh, you know, I don't, I guess it's not confrontational, but it, you're kind of on the, uh, on the hook there. It, it's not the best relational position. Yep, you're, you're reacting to it and then yes. scrambling to kind of come up with the numbers. Whereas if it was just a proactive way that you do business, um, yes. you know, you're, you're knowing that they need that. And why are we surprised when the champion needs a business case? We're asking them to spend big amount of money. And even on smaller line items now, there's a lot of scrutiny on every purchase. They do need a business case internally. They might not ask you for it, but they're going to struggle for three months on their own to put it together, or they're, they're going to put together a really bad one and then get rejected by the CFO. And we wonder why these deals stall or on the renewal, you know, not providing it on the renewal and then wonder why procurement and the CFO are asking you for a steep discount on your renewal and you're getting you know, you're having to step down your contracts on your ARR because of it. Um, we have to be proactive with the business case, just like we have to be proactive with the adoption and not wait to the last minute and the, um, you know, the brand loyalty and the community and that sense of emotion, right? It's, it's all of those. It's, it's the trust on the, on the adoption. It's yes. the emotion on the content and the brand and the community. And then it's the logic on the business case. That's right. And, and that's, you know, so as I talked about the hierarchy, right, the, the, the first who to sell to, then how to engage, then why should they buy in from you? That is a very thin sliver of the landscape. And because there's not enough, as much focus on it as there should be. Now, it's growing. And certainly, um, because of solutions like what you have, you know, you're making it now a reality. It's a possibility. And I think also you guys were one of the first to do like machine learning to understand mm -hmm. or to have things like meetings automatically logged into CRM and to start to understand the impact of content and those types of things. So now with technology, there's no excuse really for people not to keep moving further to the right in that hierarchy and to 
get stuck in the, well, do I have a good list? And, you know, can I research them on LinkedIn so I maybe have something I can say? I mean, just, I would just say for people that are listening to push yourself further and further to the right, because Mm -hmm. as you do, it will become a competitive advantage at this point. At some point, everyone is going to be utilizing and taking advantages of all, (coughs) excuse me, of technologies in each of these sectors. Mm -hmm. Um, But until they do, it can be a big strategic advantage for you if you're one of the first. I I completely agree. And the sales tech landscape is a great way to kind of uh, gain awareness into what are the areas you should be working on and then what's the wealth of uh, technology that's available to you know, kind of the short list uh, that Nancy's already put together to do in a lot of the, the homework. You, you can be guided towards, you know, the vendors that you should begin collaborating with in each one of those spaces. So I love what you're doing in terms of providing that landscape, but also providing that categorization. And then the videos and the reviews that you do independently as you, tr- you know, try to do what the buyer does, which is understand and distill out what are the solutions and what are the strengths of these solutions and how you can apply them. No, thank you for the thank you for the plug. And if people do want to get that landscape, they can get that on our website. Um, it's right on the homepage, so it's available to anyone who wants to view it. Awesome, and we will include a link to that, Nancy, as well as uh, to your LinkedIn address, so people can reach out to you. But what I want to ask is, what's the one piece of advice you got to distill all that sales technology landscape, <laughs> the categories, the six hundred solution uh-huh. providers? What's the one piece of advice you'd like to leave the audience with today? I'd say uh, think about the buyer experience. And don't just think about, well, what do we need to communicate as a seller? Think about what's it like for that prospect to have to sit in a meeting and, you know, listen from A to Z in a linear fashion. Think about the impressions that that makes on your buyer, if you can provide a better buying experience, and ultimately what that means in terms of an ROI for actually closing more deals. So get out of the world of just, hey, how can we sell and pitch the product in the right way to how can we make this more about having a great buying experience? And reshaping that experience. I love it. Nancy, thank you so much. Smart selling tools. And um, please look up Nancy if you're uh, in the marketplace or doing research on any sales technology. Uh, Smart selling tools is definitely the place to go to uh, start that journey. Thank you so much, Tom.